All episodes of It's Great Business reflect the views and opinions of Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group and its guests and do not reflect the official policy or guidance of employers or government entities. You're listening to It's Great Business, sponsored by Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, where great business equals great people. Welcome to another episode of It's Great Business, and I'm Janice Berg-Levy. Today, I have with me Ellen Denver. Ellen recently transitioned from corporate HR to her own HR consulting firm that specializes in small and mid-sized businesses. Ellen, welcome. Thank you so much for um, having me join you. Absolutely. Ellen, you know, it is such a thrill for me because as some of our listeners may know, you and I work together for a sizable number of years. And uh, as we both have transitioned, there's just so much I think that uh, you have to share. So why don't you just tell me briefly about who you are, what your purpose and passion is, and and we'll kind of go from there. Thanks, Janice. And again, thank you for letting me join you today. You know, I'm going to tell you a couple of things you might not know about me, but you probably do know that I graduated from Cornell um, University. It seems like you have a pattern of having a lot of Cornellians here, but I graduated from Cornell from the School of Industrial and Labor Relations, and I spent my first 10 years doing labor and union work. So I don't think many people know that. And my first 10 years, I lived in five cities. I started in New York. I was transferred to San Francisco, which was a lot of fun. I then was transferred to Miami. And then I changed firms and I moved to Phoenix, where I literally worked every day at a manufacturing plant. And from there, I was part of a startup and uh, moved to Philadelphia. So I will share with you when you walk into a room, even today, and it's filled with... uh, often filled with all men. It's changing a little bit. I can tell you as somebody right out of college who walked into a room filled with labor union guys, and they were all men. That was intimidating in a sense. So that's why uh, it it was quite an interesting experience. And I I really, truly loved it. But um, my real desire was to move back to New York and to live in Manhattan. And to do that, that meant that I had to enter a more corporate HR path. And so that's what I did. And I started as a specialist and I did campus recruiting. So I've been to, I did uh, MBA recruiting. So I've been to Harvard and Stanford and University of Chicago and all those universities. And I did that for a year. And then I transitioned to experienced recruiting. And from there, I moved into employee relations and uh, benefits. And finally, I moved into my favorite role. And that's where I did get to know you. And I'd been in that in various capacity, similar capacities for a number of years. And that was really partnering with the business and, uh, and being, a, being at the table with the business leaders, developing the HR strategy that they needed to successfully run their business. And I will add that along the way, it started when I uh, first moved back to New York. So that was about 30 years ago. I, start, I, I got my MBA, so I, I have an MBA in um, integrated process management from Fordham, and I did that at night, something that sometimes I really liked, and sometimes it was a lot of work. I can relate. Ellen, you know, one of the things that um, we like to focus on in It's Great Business is 
this relationship between great business and great people. And so I so am so excited about this conversation because who better than someone who headed up HR in a variety of different places than to, to share you know, what you experienced, both from the recruiting side all the way through to when people are actually performing their, their roles. So any insights in terms of you know, kind of your thinking around that as far as that relationship? Sure. Well, I, I developed my own uh, leadership, what I consider a leadership competency model. And I describe it as the six C's because, you know, in our world, you need either an acronym or something to remember it by. And I, I think the framework, think of the framework as a pyramid and the foundation of the framework. So when I'm looking at a leader and every once in a while, I kept thinking, you know, if they'd used my leadership framework, maybe this guy or gal would not have been in the position they were put in. But think of it as a pyramid and think of the bottom three C's as character, competence, and collaboration. And I think that's the price of admission for anyone. They need to have character. You know, the importance in the work we did, Janice, that you have integrity and values and you do the right thing. The next is you just have to be competent and, and, and competency changes from role to role, but you have to be able to do the role. You have to just have the knowledge, the skills, the capabilities that, that you bring that, you know, so you can do the job. I mean, some just might be the innate knowledge, skills that are transportable that you'll make you make um, sure that you're a quick learner and you can get up to speed quickly. Ellen, just real quickly, when you talk about the learner and the knowledge, I know, I know because I know you so well, that one of the things that was really important, and, and you've done it in terms of continuing education, right, going and getting your MBA, I've done it in going and getting my master's as, as an example, um, but I think there's this ongoing learning, and so I don't know if you had any thoughts about that as well. So I do, so I'm going to go to my third seat. And my third C, which I think is critical, is collaboration. And that's where you really become a learner. That's where the ability is to connect and work with others. That's the importance of diversity, of listening to different ideas. When people say, I'm looking for someone who's an innovator, real innovators collaborate with others, listen to others, get that feedback. So I think that collaboration and that learning whether it's taking a course, which I think is great, or being, um, I'm always um, in awe of folks who read lots and lots of books, going to seminars and workshops, but it's all part of that collaboration. And one thing I always said to my team when they went to a workshop or they went to a meeting is the importance of every meeting is to come back with three new ideas and three new content. Mm, that's great. And, and I think that's what great leaders do. So you know, they, they learn. I mean, you'll talk about the agile learner. No one could have prepared everybody for the pandemic, but real great agile learners take from other things that they've learned, and then they can take that and create, you know, new program, new ways of thinking. So I think that's really important. And I, I also think part of collaboration, and this is something that we've discussed. I know you did a survey and you said, what's most important about joining a firm and people said the people. Right. And the importance of collaboration is the importance of creating your network. And one thing that I could say up and comers, 
they really focus on upward, upward networking, you know, in an organization, those upward relationships. But really smart, great leaders, because they're developing, you don't just wake up and become a leader, are those that understand the importance of lateral, their peer group as a network, mm. and the importance of downward of mentoring, of developing others below them, of listening to others and really valuing them. And obviously the fourth, which we know our really great leaders are, and you know, in our world, they needed to bring in business is having a strong external network. Yeah. So, so really what's critical for everyone, and, and this is not just for in a sense leaders, but I think we're all leaders, no matter what our role is in an organization, is, is really to appreciate the importance of collaboration. You know, Ellen, I wanna, we, we have a lot of uh, listeners who are, have varied backgrounds. Uh, they could be just coming out of school, figuring out, you know, fresh and new, what are they gonna do? Might've had a major, but, you know, still figuring it out. You've got those that are in the middle going, oh my gosh, is this all there is, right? I get a two-week vacation or whatever, and this is it. And then you have those that are reinventing themselves. And I think that your, you know, the examples that you've given in the C's, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a big corporation, uh, you're in a small business. I don't care if it's a family business, if it's, uh, you know, midsize, wherever you are in, in the globe, in fact, it's really, really important to emphasize, I think, your point of it's not just looking up but it's about appreciating those that support you in that business journey. I mean, if you think about it, even in a small business, that's the lifeblood of that business, right? I mean, it's the people that are, you know, if, if it's your business and you're selling fill in the blank product, you better make sure that those people that are on the floor selling with you are, you know, that you're showing your appreciation, that you're giving them the adequate training and skills to be able to be successful. I don't care if it's somebody that's on the dock. You should be out there, you know, making sure that they understand that it isn't just about moving a product from point A to point B, but that they feel like they have a purpose and that they belong. So these are really important concepts, Ellen, in terms of all size businesses. Absolutely. And you can, I mean, you could, we could do the whole, uh, we could do a segment on each one of these we characters. Could. We could, we could. Vision and strategy. Let me go to the next layer. So you have, if you think about it, character, competence, collaboration. The next two C's that I look at, and I think this is what starts to distinguish a good leader, from, you know, good leader to great. And the one I would say is compassion. And that's your leader that really cares about you. And they demonstrate that they care. That's the leader, that's the leader that gets into a room and knows everybody's name. That's the leader that I'll, I'll never forget one holiday I got a card from a vice chairman, a holiday card. And he had addressed the envelope himself because I knew his handwriting. And it was like he wrote in every space there was on this card, thanking me for all the work that I'd done, the contributions that I made, the impact that I had, the indifference that I made. And those are the type of leaders that you'll do anything for. And real leaders, as you get to the higher levels, they really demonstrate that they care and have compassion for their employees. They have it for their clients and also their community. 
And so that's the well-rounded leader that really demonstrates that they care. But you and I, I know, I know we often talk about one vice chair that we loved and he always knew the names of my boys. And he, I felt like he, whether he did or not, I really felt like he cared about me as an individual and a person I always asked about my husband. That's the kind of stuff that the, the type of leader that people will do anything for. So, you know, the type of leader, when you wake up and you have to work on a Saturday, you say, well, it's worth it for that leader. The type of leader that calls you on a vacation because, and and it apologizes, but there's an emergency, you don't mind so much. Yes. And it happens with everyone. So I think that you and I can speak to a few leaders we worked for that that really demonstrated that. Mm -hmm. Let Mm -hmm. me go the next thing that really distinguishes a good leader from a great leader, and that's their communication skill. And again, we could do a whole, a whole seminar on it, but at another firm where we did spend a lot of time doing leadership competencies, they came up with some things around communications that said, this is what great leaders do. And they not only speak with clarity and, they're, and they have to be persuasive, but they're able to relate to different audiences. And so they're the kind of person that sits in a room and comes up with a metaphor. So I had one HR leader who I was awesome communicator. And every time we were in a room and we had a big challenge, we were rowing upstream. And we knew if we were gonna row upstream, getting this done, it was gonna be a tough assignment. And then he had a very funny expression, which is, I won't fall, I'm not falling on my sword over this. Mm-hmm. And we immediately knew that it might've been a good idea, but it wasn't worth all the political capital and energy to make that work. And our favorite leader always had another arrow in his quiver, right? But he always used that metaphor. We knew there was another, you know, it was just one more option in his bag of tricks. And that's what really great communicators do because they quickly tell you a story that everyone can relate to. And it seems like they're the ones that the dialogue, the conversation is going in all kinds of direction And they're the ones that sit down and they break it up and they go, well, I think there are three things we need to get done from like a hundred ideas that were floating. So um, I think that communications, there's good communicators, but really great leaders are really effective communicators. So let me tell you what's at the top of the pyramid. And to me, this is the most important competency in my personal leadership model. And that's courageous commitment. That's the leader who's willing to take a risk, who can make those decisive decisions, who will take a position which may go against a prev- the prevailing view. It, it's just the person who's willing to take a stand and will be accountable for it. That's the leader who really drives change. That's the person, and in my HR world, what's so important would be the one who drives the inclusion, equity, and diversity throughout the organization. And that's the type of leader that I've always really liked to work for. And you would be surprised how many leaders at the top don't demonstrate that courageous commitment. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. I think that when we look at all of these concepts, I think that we really want to get into a little bit of around how you define success as you look at what you've learned from 
you know, the great leaders and quite frankly, the not so great leaders, because we can we can learn from both. How would you define success? Well, I define success. There's a lot of ways to define it. But one is that you set your own goals, your own personal goals, and that you make progress towards them. Uh-huh. You might not achieve them, but I define success as setting my goals and making some progress towards it. I also define success by being your own or being my own advocate, that I, that I have that courageous commitment, that I stand up for what I believe in. So you talked about the fork in the road, but I'm going to still ask this question. Is there anything you would have done differently? You know, um, my favorite show, I've just finished watching Ted Lasso. One of the things that he says, um, one, one of his expressions is be a goldfish. And he said, he goes, goldfish are the happiest animals in the world because they only have a 10 second memory. And I think something that we all, ne- we all need to learn from our, our mistakes but we also need to just move on. And even now in a lot of the coaching and thing, you know, that I'm doing, I, I so often am telling these folks, just let it go, just let it go and move on. What did you learn from it and move on? So that took me a lot of years to get there, um, a lot of sleepless nights and things, but I think that's what I would do. I would let it go or, or just be a goldfish, learn from mm-hmm. my lessons and move on. Good. Before we go into fast round, I thought it would be kind of interesting to just explore a point that you, as you talked a lot about the leaders that you've observed, I think you have been in a unique position in terms of being able to look across because there have been so many that you've been able to support. Now, when you think about what you experienced, what do you look for in a leader? Well, again, I, I think um, I look for someone who's smart. I look for someone who cares about his people. And I, I think something I didn't touch on, I really look for a leader who respects the people that work with him, the people that work for him, the people that work above. And I think we would, many people out there would be shocked because we had an inside view that others don't, of how many leaders really don't respect. They're better, you know, managing up, but goes back to building relationships. But lateral, their peer group and, and folks below them is, is a lack of respect. And, and I think that was what surprised me the most. And, and that's right up there with courageous commitment. The really great leaders respect everyone. Right. And again, it goes to their network. They have a little tiny network. They have a small Mm -hmm. network and they don't go beyond that network. And therefore, if you go back to my first competence collaboration, they're collaborating with with a very few folks and getting very minimal input from others. And I would, I, I actually concur. And I think that there's also just by nature of what you're describing, a lack of diversity because there is a comfort in hanging out with people that are the same as you. And we do know in this age of inclusion and diversity, that is so important for every company um, to be aware of, every nonprofit, every entity. 
um, because with diversity comes innovation, comes new ideas, comes an ability to be more competitive. I think that this insular, limited um, uh, network, we'll call it, uh, that, that is sort of people's comfort zone in the long run um, can be very problematic. So I, I agree with you. And I think there's one other piece. If I were someone listening to this, I would also say, you know, not only seeking diverse uh, opinions, a device, diverse people to work with, um, to look inside yourself, because sometimes what one will find out is that it's your own insecurities that cause you to stay within a limited network, within a limited group and stay in that comfort zone. So without getting all like psyche on this, um, I do think that that, Ellen, is something that I know, you know, you and I have chatted about, and I think it's important for the listeners to, to hear. So we're going to move on now to fun facts about Ellen. All right. So here we go. So who is the person that you admire the most and why? Since I'm an historical buff, I'm going to say Abraham Lincoln. Okay. That's who I'm going to. That's All right. You got that's, it. All right. Favorite book. I have two. So from a professional perspective, um, I think for anyone looking for career advice and, and kind of how to maneuver through the day-to-day -day politics at work, I really love um, Carla Harris's Expect to Win. So as you said, for people kind of newer, younger in their career, I would, ask them, I would suggest they all go out and, and read that. And I love historical fiction. Um, so I read a lot and I just finished reading a really great book. So I'll say that's a favorite book, but, um, I would say, uh, read, we were the lucky ones by Georgia Hunter. And, uh, it's based mm -hmm. off of a true story, but, um, but it's historical fiction. So mm -hmm. th those are my two. Great. Favorite city. Well, can I say two again? Gee, I'm sure. Um, well, obviously New York, I lived there for a number of years and I just love Manhattan and Brooklyn. So all of New York City, the Bronx, so the whole thing. So I'm a big New York City. I think it's just such a wonderful, diverse place. I'm a walker. So one of my favorite cities is Copenhagen because it just, uh, it's just has a fascinating history and it's just a very walkable city. So I'm going to pick those two. Nice. And last, your favorite food. So that's a hard one because I, I like to eat, but my favorite, anyone who knows me knows that I love sweets. So my very favorite is key lime pie. Mm. Um, it, I got hooked on that when I lived in Miami many years ago. And when I worked in Miami, I actually had to spend a lot of time in Key West. For, mm. oh, so wow. <laughs> um, believe it or not. And, um, and so there is no better place to have key lime pie than Key West. And it brings mm -hmm. me back to a different part time of my life, and um, and I like it. So uh, and now it's almost summer. So key lime pie has mm -hmm. that. With, Sounds good. With whipped cream, you gotta have that wop. Oh know. yeah, the extra sugar, lots of yeah, sugar there. With, with the real rich, mm, the cream. homemade kind. Yeah, yeah, not the not the spray stuff. No. So, how can listeners reach out to you? Sure. Well, they can contact me through LinkedIn. I'm under. 
Ellen Denver there, or they can email me. I'd love to hear from them. It's ellendenver at gmail.com. Fantastic. Ellen, this was so fun. And certainly I think our listeners can tell that you are extremely passionate about the whole world of uh, HR. And now more than ever, it is such a key topic as we look at uh, environmental, social governance issues. Um, it really is coming to the top. It's no longer and HR. HR, human relations is a key component of every business. And um, now it's, it's getting its time in the sun, so. Well, thank you for letting me join you this afternoon. It's always fun to be with you and have a conversation. So thank you. You are welcome. And thanks for listening, everybody, to It's Great Business. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Also, check us out on Facebook at Intracoastal Marketing, LinkedIn at Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, and Instagram and Twitter at It's Great Business. And visit us on the web at intracoastalmarketingstrategy.com.